Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, just wanted you to know we are doing an episode on self-harm and suicide attempt, and we do discuss that in this episode. So please take care while listening. It's Candace and Kayla, and we are directionally challenged. Yep, we thought we'd have it all figured out by the time we're in our 30s. But surprise, we don't. No, we don't. But that's okay. It is okay. And I know we're both really excited about today's episode because May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And we've just, we're still in a global pandemic. I mean, we have all been mentally drained. This has been a mentally draining time in all of our lives. So, we're here to ask each other and you guys, how are you doing? How are we all doing? I mean, how it's are a you very, doing? Uh, you know, some days <laughs> great and some days not so great. How about you? <laughs> oh, you know, just it's my, my my new hobby. I haven't started meditating, but my new form of that meditation. doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I know. Shocker. My new form of meditation is hunting bugs at night because fun fact there is an obscene amount of insects here in Tennessee that love to find their way into houses. Are we talking like cute firefly bugs or are we talking like big spiders? Because there's a difference. Like stink bugs, stink oh. bugs, where if you smush them, they stink. They smell like a toot in the house. And, and they come in by like the tens 
and 20s. Like there's they uh, there's fully. And then the second they've just now migrated out and I got my first summertime springtime cockroach last night. You know, I'm just most of my my evenings. I, you know, I instead of meditating, have really turned into tornado research and how to uh, like actively and humanely get rid of giant, terrifying, stinky insects. I'm just going to put it out there for you that maybe this situation will turn into being on a front porch <laughs> and counting fireflies <laughs> and like running out there and trying to find one in, or capture one in a jar. That's much cuter. <laughs> sure. That sounds like better for mental health and tornado research and stink bug research. <laughs> yes, but but that's actually oddly been soothing to me. So if anyone wants to try that is like a form of self-care, <laughs> highly recommend it. But also I'm still doing therapy. That helps too. I see my dude every week. So he's been guiding me emotionally. And it's all about balance. Yeah, it's all about balance. <laughs> it's all about balance. I love it. Well, you guys, today we are sitting down with Kelly Richardson Lawson. She is an Emmy award winning creative visionary and business leader. She is the founder and CEO of Joy Collective, a Black and woman-owned marketing and creative agency based in Washington. She also has a phenomenal podcast on OWN called the Sunrise Project Podcast, which is dedicated to helping sons and daughters lead mentally healthy lives while providing a safe space to share and support families dealing with mental illness and addiction issues across the country. We sit down with her and we have an, a wonderful conversation it's not just about stink bugs. It's not just about fireflies. It's about all the important stuff that we can arm ourselves with as parents to be the best that we can be. Without further ado, here is our lovely conversation with Kelly Richardson Lawson. And we are here with Kelly Richardson Lawson. Kelly, good morning. We're so happy that you're here with us. Good morning. Good to see you. You know, it's interesting. We are doing this episode and it's a it's a topic that we have wanted to talk about for a long time. Mental health is something that is wildly important to all of us. And while I was researching for this episode, I realized this staggering statistic of one in four people in the world will be affected by mental health at some point in their lives. Yet there's this stigma around mental health and the treatment that still exists. And thank God it started to change a little bit. It's become a more common topic, but we still have a ways to go. So what I love so much about Sunrise Project podcast is it specifically encourages a conversation, a conversation between parents and children. You guys want both to listen. And it creates a conversation like the one we're going to have today. And just to have an opportunity to open up about that conversation is such an important part. So as a parent myself, I have to thank you for that. And we're wondering if you feel comfortable, if you would mind sharing your story as a parent and your experience parenting your son through his struggles with self-harm. Sure. So where to begin? So yes, I have two beautiful sons with beautiful minds and both special and wonderful and different in their own right. Um, I have a 19-year-old and a 16-year-old. World. And my journey into this space and with Sunrise Project specifically started a few years ago when my now 19-year-old was entering high school. And what I did not appreciate at that time or understand at that time is the importance of letting our children really just express who they are and walk their own path and give them freedom to explore and freedom to be, you know, to become who they're going to be. And as a Black parent, especially with boys, especially six feet tall boys, I had, I was parenting through fear, 
fear of wanting them to come home safely every day and every day seeing some sort of violence or some sort of situation that I worried about. That could be my son. That could be my child running out the house, you know, in the black hoodie as a brown skin, black man in this country. So I was parenting out of fear. And in that fear came control and wanting to say, no, you can't go to those parties. No, you can't go there. No, no, no. So in that space of control, which was really grounded in fear for my the safety of my child, we all want our children to be healthy and safe. It was grounded in that space. And the more I tried to control and my husband tried to control him, the more he wanted to just be a teenager and he wanted to explore. And that's fair. Kids need to be teenagers. Like they need to be able to do that. And those years are so critical. So that ninth grade year, he was entering high school and he was a very, very strong athlete. He was a swimmer and went out, got invited to the Olympic training center to swim. And we envisioned him, you know, being a big swimmer, going to college on a full scholarship. We had all these plans for him. And he came back that summer and he said, I don't want to swim anymore. And my husband's from inner city Baltimore, got out, you know, went to college, first in his family to go. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, you know, sort of a paycheck to paycheck type of family, hardworking middle-class family. And so we had these visions for our child. And we were like, we've been taking you to swim practice at 4 a.m. for 10 years, you know, you know, and so we were forcing him to, we said, no, you can't quit. So that was the first big, big I would say it's a mistake. It's a big action that if I could get the time back, I would change. And so it started, our journey into this mental wellness space really started to unfold when we didn't allow him to quit. We kept pressuring him to stay in something he didn't want to stay in. We didn't acknowledge that he said, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, we didn't listen. We didn't pay attention to the signs. And he started to get more and more depressed and still didn't see the signs, didn't or didn't see. And every time we said, no, you can't go to that party, it started to be, he would sneak out or he would jump out the window or he would climb out the basement window. And so, and then we would punish him and we would punish him way more. My mom made way more than we probably should have. We take the phone away, not for a day, for a month, you know, and we were, and every time we would do a punishment or have a consequence that was severe, it would just get worse and worse. You know, it would escalate the defiance and the behavior. And really, if we were paying attention, the depression, because he was so depressed and and felt this immense pressure from us. So fast forward that same year, when we were not allowing him to quit, he ran away. And so one of the moments when he ran away, we were like, you know, what's going on? We called the police. They ended up finding him, praise God, but they arrested him and, you know, brought him back home. And that was traumatic, you know, for a young black kid, that was traumatic. We didn't even realize how traumatic that was until recently. And then he started smoking marijuana and the smoking marijuana was trying to soothe the pain that he was feeling and the frustration he was feeling with us. And we weren't still not listening. So that's, it started in ninth grade and this unfortunate turn of events that were really, that was grounded in him saying, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. And us as parents not acknowledging or listening and respecting that. And I think that's, that's how it started.
Well, we also have to, we would all love to think that we enter parenting as our own selves with no, that it's just coming from our hearts and who we are as people. And we ignore the fact that, no, we were parented once by parents and that's going to seep into our parenting styles as well. Do you feel looking back that, do you feel that your parents parented in fear or do you feel that there were any parallels of well, you had parents that told you not to quit or you always wished you had parents that told you not to quit. Like, were there any big things from your childhood or your experience growing up that you now realize in your own parenting that's kind of come through and that the, there's just repetitive patterns that we all have? Yes. Yes. So that's an interesting question. So from a parenting we, we, you're correct. We parent how we were parented and we had strict rules in our house. I don't know that it was out of fear. It was out of, you know, love and wanting us to do better and to go to the next level. So we definitely had strict rules. You know, we had eight o'clock. We didn't, we weren't allowed to watch TV. We weren't allowed to do something when there were three channels back in that day at that time. So this was in the sixties and seventies, <laughs> but we weren't, we, we were, my parents were very strict, loving, and but strict. And we ate dinner together every night. They were an electrician and a school teacher. We didn't have a lot, but we had a lot of love. And we had, they wanted us to go to college and do better. You know, they always talked about doing better. And so that, yes, that part, yes. The other thing I would mention from my parent, from being a child, I have was a victim of dating violence in high school. Really crazy, 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 crazy boyfriend. And, but I didn't talk about it. You know, I put on that mask of, oh, everything's okay. I was class president. I was always smiling and happy. But then behind the scenes, this guy was, you know, beating my behind and all kinds of crazy stuff. And so, but I hid it from my parents. Why did I do that? I did that because we didn't talk about things like that in the Black community, we didn't talk about it. And I also knew that if I shared, particularly one particular incident, which I'll share here, I knew my dad would probably end up in jail. And so I was trying to save my dad's life too. Because if I told him what this guy had done repeatedly until this final episode, when I finally said, enough, I'm done, and I almost shot him. I picked up a gun and almost shot his brains out, but I, thank God, did not. Got home, the whole little neighborhood had heard about it. And my mom wiped my face because I was crying and upset. And she said, let's go clean yourself up before your dad gets home. And what it was, and I know what that was about though, because she's trying to save her husband who could have, would have killed that boy. And I know that. And I know she knows that because my sister and my, and my, and myself were like, you know, his pride and joy. And my middle name is Joy actually. So I share that to say, we hide those things. And so growing up in a very loving environment, I worked a lot, I worked hard, I wanted to do well. And there was in my mind always wanting to do better, go to college, be better. And so with my own son, with Kyle, my 19 year old, yes, very strict, just like my parents, but I didn't listen. My mom absolutely listened to everything. You know, that was that one time where she was like, let's clean yourself up you know, get yourself together. And then I started hiding the pain. Like most of our community, most people hide it. And so we don't deal with it. We don't talk about it. And depression and mental illness runs in my family. It often is in our blood, alcoholism as well. And so, but no one talks about it. That's how I was brought up. 
I knew my grandmother had bipolar. I knew one of my aunts was schizophrenic. I knew all these things, but no one ever talked about it because there was this shame and that was in the community. It's like the shame and the stigma. I'm not sure if that answered your question, but I feel like that is, my parents were amazing and super loving. And yet they taught me, you know, to hide that pain and not to talk about it. I've changed that now by really talking about it and helping to create this space for people to speak out loud. So growing up in a community where you don't learn to have that conversation, then changing your mentality and realizing we need to have this conversation has got to be extremely difficult. So how did you as a parent choose to do that? And how do you continually do that with your sons? Such a good question. So it was not that I ever made a conscious choice to do that. I feel like I was put in this situation based on put in the situation. Everything is divinely ordered. And I never in a million years would have thought I would have a child that was jumping out the window and running down the street to hop in cars with people I never knew. I never could imagine that I would be in my robe and slippers running down the street trying to chase the car, terrified that You know, I didn't know who he was getting in the car with and not knowing when he would come home and being terrified, up all night, worried. Never, ever in a million years would have imagined I'd have these three huge men in my house at three in the morning carrying my child out the the door as he's screaming and hollering and trying to fight back. I never, ever would have imagined that. And as you said earlier, we make choices and we do the best we can as parents, trying desperately to keep our children safe and healthy. And so my husband and I were sitting in Connecticut at a facility, the second one that Kyle went to, which, oh, by the way, I would never do that to any human being ever again, but we did. And so at the time, again, thinking we're doing what we thought was best and trying to save our child. We're sitting at this place on a Saturday morning, and I'll never forget it. It was a parent weekend. Other parents were in the room, and I remember saying, how in the world did we get here? There's this huge epiphany and I started sharing and, you know, it's almost like it's a, it's a safe space of parents all going through the same thing. And I remember leaving that and coming back and just breaking down and like being in a fetal position, laying like behind the couch in a little crevice between the couch and the wall and feeling so alone at that time. Like, I can't talk to anybody about this because, you know, I have this uh, on the surface. I have a great husband, I have a great job, a great career. It's all these things on the surface. And I had never learned how to really open up and share what was really happening inside publicly. But it was in that moment and that little crevice between the couch and the wall that I said, we need to do something for Black parents because every time my husband and I would speak, we were the only Black parents in the room. We could relate, but then there was a whole nother layer of being Black in America and that I felt like we needed to be able to have a safe space for parents. And our safe space is not just Black parents, but it's everybody going through these issues because you don't imagine, you can never imagine that you would be dealing with mental wellness or addiction, or in my case, both, and trying to do the best we can with no guidebook. So how did I learn to open up? I learned to open up in that place in Connecticut for the first time and share with other parents that were sitting there in the exact same predicament. Not not predicament, let me not say that, in the exact same space. Because if I look back, it's not a predicament. I'm so blessed to have been given the sun, so with a beautiful mind, to enable myself to help other people. 
not go through the same thing because ultimately he's perfectly fine. Had I just allowed him to step into who he is sooner, then we probably would have avoided all those things. If I had just listened to him and acknowledge and accept, it's about acknowledging and accepting and adapting yourself, you know, as a parent, not them. It's like, they're, they're, he's perfectly fine walking his path. But, um, you know, opening up has been so tremendously healing. And I know, you know, there's a song that Jay-Z talks about, you don't heal till you reveal. And that's so true. You know, when you finally open up and talk about it, you realize everybody's going through something and they're just looking for an opportunity to share. And that's what I'm so grateful about. As much as at the time I was like, why me? Why me? You know, I'm so over that. It's like, I don't, I'm blessed to have him. And then to be able to parent my younger son differently based on what I've learned. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good. Because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now, I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae, and they are both so (laughs) delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 
310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix. My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGED right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. We're back. Well, and also when you finally are around a group of people who all of a sudden have the same understanding that this is like that this is actually very normal. Like all of the experience of, of mental illness or mental health, these are not new concepts that have just like come into society now. They've always been here, but we've just hidden them in this like secret corner of shame. And if we just would actually acknowledge that these are real things, that is nobody's fault. This is just genetic and biological predisposition to having these, you know, parts of yourself. And there's so much help out there if we just make the safe space for that help. That's right. I really would love to discuss, I I know it's difficult, but the decision to have your son go to a facility, and if you could share with our listeners like what that means, you are not the first person I've talked to in the last couple of years who has done this. I think that especially when we all found ourselves in a time of COVID, and if you have other children in the house and you just don't know what else to do and you start speaking with medical professionals who are telling you that this is the right way, like this is like a good option. And you're like, okay, well, I'm going to listen to you because you must know better than my maternal instinct. And then you're just kicking yourself later on. It's so, so if you could just kind of maybe let us share with us what led to the decision to to search for a facility in the first place. You know, I've heard many times, I think it's pretty common knowledge that this is not the right option for men, a majority of, of youth, but, but we get kind of presented this as an option. Absolutely. So what led to it was a series of uh, situations where it just felt like complete disrespect and defiance. And we would say, no, you can't go to such and such. And he would, you know, sneak out. So that was repetitive. I'd say, and he was getting therapy. So we had a therapist who he supposedly liked. And he called us one day and said, you know, Kyle is moving so far left. You know, I don't think there's anything you can really do to get him to come, you know, move back into like, alignment with what your vision is. So he said, 
I think you need to either, because this at this point, Kyle was disappearing for days on end, was, and we stopped calling the police. We just prayed that he'd be okay, but he would just disappear, be at some random person's house or... So we were really worried and fearful for him. That was a big part of it. And then the therapist called and we had a meeting with him. And he said, I think that you should look at doing, you know, intensive therapy. And there's an educational and a potentially different school because the school that we go at is known for being great education, high drugs, high alcohol, parties, et cetera, and very, very little diversity. So Kyle was struggling to find himself, was, you know, battling with us like this because of swimming and had started smoking marijuana. So battling with with us about that because my husband and I never did that. And so that was something new that we didn't really understand either. And and it's illegal in our state in Maryland. So one of the final straws for us was when my mom was in town from Cleveland and Kyle had gotten suspended or something from school, which I could never imagine either for vaping in the bathroom. And my mom happened to be in town like the next day. And she told him, no, he said, I'm going, getting ready to go such and such. She said, no, you're on punishment. You can't go anywhere. No, your parents told you blah, 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 blah. And he looked at her and just proceeded to leave. And my mom was so upset. And that was, it's like, it's one thing to disrespect me and make me feel bad. That's bad enough as your mom. That's really bad enough. But now your grandmother, I couldn't, I was just, At that point, I thought he's so far gone. Like, it's like there's no, and I knew that he was addicted to marijuana and nicotine at that time. And so it's like, he had to go get his fix. He had to go, you know, and as we all know with addiction, it is a mental, there's a disorder in your brain. It's an illness. And so I now understand that too. Having said that, that was one of the final straws that happened with my mom. And there was a big situation with my husband as well in the same time period. And I thought, we need to do something to keep him safe and to keep him alive. Because at that point, all of his friends had changed. His friends were worried about him too. They started reaching out to us, Miss Lawson, Mr. Lawson, you know, so we were saying his friends were reaching out, worried about him. All his friends had changed. He's running out the house in the middle of the night. We live in a white neighborhood and I'm seeing kid after kid, young person being murdered, you know, on the streets by the police in many cases. And I was more and more worried. So my husband and I said, let's try to do something. And so we went to see an educational specialist who recommended a wilderness program. And so we said, to your exact point, we don't know what what we're doing. We're just desperate to help him. Desperate, like desperate. But that key right there is we're desperate to change him. We're desperate. Like really at the end of the day, we needed to change us. I know that now. And But looking back, we're desperate to change him. And the therapist said, just, just leave him outside. Put his bags out. You know, he doesn't want to disrespect your house rules. Just put him out. And I wasn't able to do that. I'm still not able to do that. Like, that's my baby. I can't put him, I can't do that. So that's what led it. So he went to wilderness. It was, he said it was the worst six weeks of his life. And he has a lot of trauma from that. But then we did it two more times. And every time... He came home, it got worse, you know, the the situation. So having said all of that, that's what led to it. That's why we did it. And it works for some people. So I don't want to say like these programs could work for some people. You have to want it like anything in life. If I want to lose 20 pounds, I have to lose the 20 pounds. Nobody can tell me to do it till I'm ready to do it. Same with alcohol, same with drugs, same with any of those 
situation. So, but that's what happened. That was the final straw. And then we did it two more times. And I have letters. We wrote letters every single day back and forth. And he begged us to come get him. And we promised that he needed to finish his program. And then we would come, you know, get him each time. The last time he ran away and took a bus back from Massachusetts. So that's a whole nother conversation for another day. I mean, and this is just a, a personal question. I'm wondering your, it's asking your opinion on it, but if these programs don't technically work for many people, why do we think specialists continue to recommend them? Yeah, I think that they might work for some. I really do. So I don't want to make it seem like I don't want to put a bad thing out there for programs because I think they probably do work for some. And I will say we learned as parents and he learned, we learned a lot of amazing tools and amazing communication methods at each of them. And one of the places, like I mentioned in Connecticut, which was incredible, we learned how to communicate better. That's where it started, was there. Even though it was hard for him and us, we learned to communicate. At the wilderness program, we learned a concept called fab statements, where when you communicate with the person, you say, I feel, use feelings. I feel really upset right now about how you blah, 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 because. So you share, I feel really worried every time you run out the door because I don't know if you're going to come back home. And that really frightens me. So when you say it that way versus, you know, yelling, screaming, then they hear it differently. So we have that is incredibly helpful from one of those programs. So I don't want to have people think these programs don't work because I believe they do for some, did not for us. However, we did take nuggets. It's like planting seeds with your children. It's like you're the, you plant seeds. And you don't think they're listening. They actually really are. And one day they bloom, you know? So it's the same thing. We, we, they planted seeds and we picked up a lot of pieces, which have helped us now, like much later, fast forward. I do just wish there were more options for youth programs. It, it just, I wish there were more options. There's so many for adults. And I feel like yes. youth programs could really use it right now. Well, one of the things we're doing within Sunrise, just to build on that, just yesterday, we launched a program called Survivor Stories because my son um, tried to take his life twice with a bunch of pills. And there's a, so we're doing monthly Survivor Stories because a lot of what works is peer-to-peer conversation, not the parents, right? Like they want to hear from each other. So there was a young lady yesterday, 17 years old, president of this very prestigious, big organization. Um, And she shared her story for the first time publicly yesterday. She's the DC youth mayor. She's like, you know, a pretty big deal in 17. And she shared how she was sexually assaulted in the seventh grade and how she tried to take her life twice. And the shock and the, you know, because you see this beautiful picture on the screen and and she talked about how her relationship with her mom was, had been toxic. Her mom never listened. That's the key, listening. But her mom didn't listen to her. They followed the time. And she finally was just so upset and frustrated that she was like, I think I'll just go to sleep. Took a bunch of pills. And she said exactly what my son said. She then said, I woke up the next day like, you stupid. Why don't you take more? Now my son said that. I heard he said this on a call. Like, I felt so stupid. Like, just didn't take enough. She tried again. My point to you, though, is there's not enough programs, but we're trying to create spaces for young people to talk to each other. So if they look at a woman like that and they go, oh my gosh, she's this gorgeous girl. She did that. Let me talk about my situation. And then maybe that's 
one solution to at least help some people. That's what I'm hopeful with these survivor stories that we're launching. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, I really hear you talk about letting go of the expectations of your child and how big that was for you guys. I know you did an episode on that for your Sunrise Project podcast. Can you talk to us about that? Because I know Candace and I are younger mothers. My daughter's two and a half and I want to be able to equip myself so that when this happens, because it will, everyone's a teenager. We all, we have all been there so that we can know what that really means. Letting go of the expectations of your child. And how do we separate what's happening with us as a parent versus what's happening with our children? Yes. Oh, that's such a great question. Such a great point. There's so many things I could say that I've learned. You know, I've learned so much by listening to others, whether it's experts or other parents. The biggest thing I would say is, there's so many, but really I'd say the biggest thing I would say is focus on the relationship versus being right. And if you focus on the relationship, that's all that matters. The relationship so that they come to you. They're not running down the street, jumping into cars to feel better. But that relationship, knowing that you're that safe space for them, and your mom, but you're also someone I can talk to, I'd say focus on the relationship versus being right. I'd say also the art of communication and really communicating. I'd say also just letting them be who they are, you know, letting them be and let them be. If they want to sleep all day, let them sleep all day. Why do you got to get them to ballet or soccer? Who cares? Like none of it matters. They're like, mommy, I'm tired. I just want to sleep. Okay. I'll be back later. That makes a difference versus, boy, you better get your ass up and come on here. We got some practice at four o'clock. No, just let them be. I think the crazy thing, too, is learning how they communicate. Like for us, we are of a generation where, you know, we are not all of the cell phone generation. You know, like to me, communicating would be going and sitting across from a table and talking through a lunch. Whereas like, that's not how today's teenagers communicate. You know, it's like FaceTime is actually a really valuable source of communication, which I don't understand. But that means something to this generation. Texting and or even just riding in a car can be more valuable time to a teenager than planning like a whole weekend together, just picking them up and taking them to their friend's house in a car, well, they will remember that more. A thousand percent. And I think to that point, though, starting when they're young by saying what you just said, let's schedule, let's have special mommy child time in the car. Even if you just do that, you know, it makes a huge difference. So those times when you're doing pickup or you're taking to soccer or whatever you're doing, if you have an agreement, like we're not going to do phone in the car. Me either. Like, I'm not going to be on the phone. I don't want you to be on the phone. It's only 10 minutes, 30 minutes. But if you protect some sort of time, that's all the difference. And I would say, because you're both young parents, really focusing on them without any interruption. Again, if I could get the time back, I was always on the phone, always doing something, always not present. And so I now tell people when they're like, oh, Miles is coming in. I'm like, okay, bye-bye. Call me later. You know, hang up or sit outside and do what you need to do in the car. And when you come inside, be fully present so they know that you choose them over work. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. (laughs) 
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. And we're back. Well, obviously, I mean, I know that we've walked through a a lot of not only your journey as a parent, but your son's journey as well. And you have this podcast where you share personal experiences about your parenting and and your child's, you know, development and how they've grown up. So obviously, you don't just go from trauma to now just discussing on a podcast. How how has the relationship between you and your son been in engaging in this, you know, this beautiful opportunity to share your experiences for other families to grow? How did you get from, you know, suicide attempts and, and very scary times to now you guys are here? Hmm. Yeah, I would say the most important thing has been adapting myself, changing myself and not changing him and not trying to change him. So adapting my own behaviors and acknowledging the person in front of me is not who I expected or thought he would be, but he is still amazing in his own way, in his own journey. So that's the first thing, adapting myself, acknowledging the person in front of me and for who they are. And then the biggest thing has been focusing on my own self-care because being really clear that I can't live with him. And that's okay. I'm also not willing to have him be homeless. And so where is that balance? Like, so he now lives in Atlanta in an apartment that I pay for. I've chosen to pay for And I say I, because my husband was like, I think. But anyway, <laughs> you know, I, I have him in an apartment. Why do I do that? It makes me feel comfortable that I at least know he has a head o- roof over his head. I at least know he has shelter. Then he works for his bills and his food, and that's self-care for me. So there's the safety that I know he at least has shelter, and I also know he doesn't stress me out and make my blood pressure rise the way it was before when I would be worried every day because I don't know where he is or what he's doing, and I'm worried about the drugs and everything. So it's self-care. It's adapting to know that he's still a beautiful human being. He just happens to be doing things that are different than I expected. But I've adapted myself to acknowledge and accept him for him. And then I've focused on my own self-care. And by doing that, you know, he doesn't live here. He's 19. It's 
scary. But I get on my knees every morning and I pray. And uh, I open the podcast with the serenity prayer. And I normally wear that around my neck just to, you know, really to understand he's going to be okay. I have faith over fear. That's the biggest thing. I have faith that he will be okay over fear. And I used to have fear first. I don't have that anymore. It's hard. But I acknowledge the situation. I accept him for who he is. I love him, you know, and I focus on my own self-care. That's how I make it every day. How has that changed your relationship with him now? What is it like So now? much better. He calls, so he now calls to talk about basketball or, you know, of course, Gigi. He wants to see the dog. We have a COVID dog like the rest of the world. And so he calls to touch base like that. And I just listen. You know, he's bipolar in addition to everything else. And so sometimes he'll just call and talk for 55 minutes without a breath. And so I will put it on speaker and I don't say a word. I just listen. And then I say, wow, that's a lot. I'll say, you should make a song about that. He's working on his rap career. And I'll say, really would love to help you. Can help you. I would like it to not have so many curse words and be, you know, bitches and hoes and whatever. And then he'll call a few weeks later and say, mom, I wrote a song for Sunrise and there's no bad words. And that's a big deal. You know, and I'll go, oh my goodness. So it's changed that way because I say everything from a space of love and versus pressure. There's no pressure. No pressure with my little one. I'm my little one, my six foot something little one. I'm trying really hard to let him walk his path and be here as an advocate. And a, got, someone said, be a guide from the side, not a sage from the stage. So I'll drive by and say, hey, you need anything? No, grunts back, no, you know, whatever. And I'm like, okay. So instead of saying, can you at least talk to me? No, I just say, okay, and I'll walk away. And then he'll come eventually, mom, can you, whatever. And I'm like, sure, different approach. So my energy has changed. My relationship with my son, Kyle, is so much better. So, you know, he said to me the other day, I might come home for Chris's birthday. I was like, okay. He didn't mention Mother's Day. And I was all hurt a little bit. But I was like, okay. And he'll probably show up. But I don't push. No pressure. Self-care. Faith over fear. I know it'll be okay. He'll be fine. He'll be okay. I really do have faith. In wanting to create this safe place specifically, you know, for Black parents raising kids in America this day and age, what, you know, in creating this podcast, what is the most impactful feedback you've gotten from parents that you've talked to that's really stuck with you? Oh, gosh, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> you know, wow, that right there. So I've had people text me saying, they almost, you know, jumped off a bridge and they didn't. Or I have hope. Most people say they have hope because, you know, it's like, and one lady, her husband killed himself. And she was like, I can't get out of bed. I just can't get out of bed. And so we sent her food. Like we just delivered a whole bunch of stuff for her because she was literally like, I can't, I can't, I don't think I can go on. But she then sent the most beautiful letter about like that little token really matter to her. But we're we're helping people shift their paradigm and we're helping them have hope. And that's what we all need. If you have hope that your child is going to be okay, because for two years, I lived in fear that he, my child was not going to be okay. 
And now it breaks my heart when I call him. I can tell he's high or I can tell, you know, I can tell. <laughs> like an but episode that breaks or... my heart. Yeah, I can tell. But I also go, he's going to be okay. And he's living his truth and he's living his journey. And I have to get out of the way and just show him how much we love him unconditionally. And that is what's best about Every week I get texts about how it changed their lives and they look forward to Sunday mornings because they can breathe and they can say, okay, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And living in that hope instead of that fear is life-changing. Yes. Living in hope instead of fear and learning to love your child. The most you're learning to love them for who they are and learning to just let them be, leave them alone. And remembering <laughs> to give yourself the grace as a parent that it's okay yes. to take care of yourself a little bit too. That doesn't make you a bad parent Not at, at all. all. It makes you a better parent. Yes. And I I think also understanding that we're all doing our best and we're human as well as parents. So we will make mistakes and giving ourselves that grace for doing so and knowing that in that moment, that was the right decision. And it's okay that it didn't work out. It's okay. And be the author of your own life because a lot of times we're in these organizations that have all these expectations. And so when I finally got past the stigma, like you talked about earlier, and finally got over the shame and decided to give myself that grace, I'm able to author my own life in a different way and not be embarrassed. Because for last year, this time, oh, where's Kyle going to school? Oh, where is he going to college? And I was so like, he's not going to college. But then I finally said it loudly, like, he's not going to school and it's okay. It's really okay. My mother's like, he's just taking a gap year. I'm like, no, mom, I don't think it's a gap year. And it's okay. But getting people, like, and standing with my shoulders back at these organizations like Jack and Jill, super she-she organization. Love Jack and Jill, don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, you know, I was at a graduation thing, sitting there on a Zoom with all the graduating parents. And that was a hard day. But then I sat there and I said, How's that going to college? I'm so grateful he's graduated from high school and we're not sure what's next, but he is graduating from high school and that is a blessing. And that, and I'm really very, very content in that, you know? So yeah, that's exactly right. Giving yourself grace, having self-care, let them be. And most importantly, just learn to talk and communicate and then listen. Just really listen more than talk, I guess. Listen. And it'll all be okay. Kelly Richardson Lawson, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I mean, I, I knew that we would go there, but you have been incredible today. So Aww. thank you for joining us. You're so sweet to say that. I don't feel incredible, but I appreciate that. <laughs> well, you should change that mentality right now. Okay. <laughs> I feel okay. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> and where can our listeners find you on social media? Obviously, they can listen to your podcast, The Sunrise Project, wherever they listen to their podcast. It's fantastic. It is an own produced podcast. It's I mean, just such a safe place for parents. And even if you're listening and you're a child, if you're a kid still, if you're a teenager, if you're like a cool, hip teenager and just want to feel a little less alone, it, there's so many great resources in this podcast for you as well. Thank you. Gosh, Sunrise Project is our social. The Sunrise Project spelled S-O-N. And then my personal is Kelly Joy. I am Kelly Joy everywhere on social. Well, thank you so much, truly. Do you actually challenge?
I think my favorite piece of advice, because there's so many that she gave us, was the car time because it feels so simple and doable no matter what age your child is to sit there and say, okay, no phones. We're not doing any phones and we're just going to be together for these 10 minutes, these 30 minutes, whatever the amount of time is. I found myself wondering if I could make Poppy's drive to school longer so we could have longer car time together just to be, allow her the space if she wants to talk about something for it to come out because I I can see how that's a low pressure circumstance where you can just kind of bond no matter what space they're in mentally. I think it's also a great reminder that she found herself in a situation where she didn't see, you know, the tools that she needed. I mean, the fact that, you know, I'm so grateful she was open about her experiences, you know, parenting through some really scary situations, because that is something I think a lot of parents, especially of teenagers, can find themselves in. And a lot of people may not know how to, you know, share with each other some of the more real things going on. It's easier to talk about like Timmy joining the the baseball team than it is like Timmy sneaking out and smoking pot and we don't know where he is. I mean, those are two very, very different dinner party conversations in a world in which we love to show our life in like the perfect postcard way on Instagram and have a presentation of ourselves to society. Hearing that they found themselves at a treatment center and they're in this therapy group with a whole bunch of other parents, but still there's a whole other level that they found themselves to be the only black couple there, the black parents there at this, there's, which it does. It's exactly right. That adds a whole nother layer of raising sons in America right now that other parents in that room that it sounded like it was predominantly white wouldn't understand. So for Kelly to say, you know what, I'm going to create this safe space space for parents of the black community where they can come and know that they can share their stories and and they can be seen and heard is really, I think, inspiring and powerful that if we can't find what we need in order to be the best parents we can be for our children, to know that there are still parents out there experiencing what you're experiencing and to be brave enough to create that safe space, I think is uh, what we, the gift we can give each other in any parenting community. And it was so beautiful to watch her tear up and talk about the people's lives, who she's changed. And, you know, the podcast is, I don't want to say brand new, but it hasn't been around that long. And already she's made such an impact. So what it's going to do for years to come and the ripple effect of it all is just, it's astounding. And it's going to be really fun to watch what it does. And Kelly, thank you. That was such a lovely conversation. And thank you for going there with us. And we hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Directionally Challenged. We have another great one coming for you next week. And until then, take care. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Produced by Melissa D. Mons. Edited by Diane King. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with Acast. Acast.